0: to the next episode of the Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, where every woman has a story and every story matters. And as every week I say, yes, that means you. If you're listening, that means you. And today I am elated because I feel like, and I said this in our pre-production, I met my twin on the other side of the US, Paula Williams, and she and I were introduced by a mutual friend, Brendan, who is in my EO group here in Cleveland and I believe went to high school with you, Paula.
1: He did junior high and high school.
0: Junior high and high school. So he knew about the my dream of the podcast. And he said, You have to meet Paula. You guys are tracking and saying the same language and speaking the same things. So he introduced us and here we are today. So welcome, my friend.
1: Thank you so much, my friend. My sister from Another Mother.
0: Exactly. I can (laughs) I am so excited. I I cannot wait to unwrap what this Essence is going to be today, and we're just surrendering and believing like this is going to be perfectly delivered in the manner that it's meant to be. Yep. All right. So, Paula Williams is the founder of Shame Booth, a San Francisco born art installation, social movement, and podcast. A graduate of the Chicago Art Institute, Paula is an artist who finds beauty not only in painting and sculpture, but in the people and places that others avoid. Her artistic focus and her own struggles with addiction and mental health is why she looked for opportunities to help organizations that support people dealing with mental health issues, substance abuse and recovery, sex trafficking, and homelessness. As a result of her experiences, Paula became sensitive to the insidious nature of unresolved shame. She believes secrecy and judgment allow shame to thrive. She was inspired to create the Shame Booth experience to change the public perception of shame. She lives in San Francisco, her adopted hometown, with her three daughters and two dogs. So welcome, my friend.
1: Thank you so much. It's so fun to be here. I haven't done an interview in a really long time. So it's so
0: good. And I know you're super familiar with podcasts because you had your own podcast. So this space and and the arena of just you know connecting with the audience, I know, is very familiar to you. And I'm really honored to have you here. I'm honored to be out. So thank
1: you so much.
0: You are most welcome. So, shame. I'm interested why this topic or how this topic on shame, outside of your bio and from your lips to the audience's ear, really became something of passion. You know, was it something that you arrived to four years ago, five years ago, or has it been something that's been welling up within you uh, throughout a a journey?
1: Yes. Thank you for <laughs> the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, it started as just a, a passion project. I knew I had an idea. I wasn't sure what it was going to look like. Um, my very best friend in the whole world, Retta Rowland, who is an, ast- uh, an astrology coach, um, and I started spending t- some time to figure out like what 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 was gonna what was something that I wanted to create. And I was in I'm in long term sobriety. I'll have ten years next week, and long term therapy. Um, so doing uncovering a lot of that. a a lot of that shame and trauma. And then when Trump got elected, when he, when the election happened that morning, that Wednesday morning, Red and I were walking along the beach in San Francisco, Chrissy Field, it's one of our most beautiful places. And the mood on that day was so somber and so sad. What if I could create something that allowed people to speak their truth. What would it be like if I could create a space where I could invite people to speak their shame? And I started thinking about shame. Wow, you know, it's a, shame is different from guilt. Guilt is this belief that we've done something bad. Um, and you can, with guilt, you can move to action to fix, create, you know, or uh, fix it or, make amends or change your behavior, but shame is this whole internal thing that I'm broken, I'm bad, I'm worthless. And thinking about where we had come as a society, we were all suffering. I mean, I'm saying all, you know, the world, but I was just thinking about my own life. Like this idea that we're all suffering in silence and we're so afraid to share our pain, our truth, our shame with other people and we're never going to get well. So if we're going to try to change the direction of this country, we have to start with ourselves. And I, and then I started, I know I'm kind of I ramble a little bit on this because then I think, well, and then the whole idea of a phone and what this representation of a telephone meant to me growing up is that you had a landline and that thing was attached to a wall. For all of our like super young people, like, yeah, a phone was actually a phone. You would dial if you had buttons. That was like you were super mod. Um, But you would, you would, you would, that was a lifeline for you. Like, you would spend all day with your best friend at school and you couldn't wait to get home and talk to them for hours about all the shit that happened. And I just felt like we have lost that ability to use the phone for a real connection. It had become this other thing. I thought, gosh, what if you created a space and then I'm like a booth, I'm like, oh. And then I had a bad experience um, in a confessional when I was 17. So I started to think about this notion of a box and a confessional, but creating it in a beautiful way, not in a dark and scary way. So anyway, I came to this idea as like, I need a phone booth. We're gonna call it shame booth and I need to go find a phone booth. So we found a phone booth on Craigslist. I bring it home, it sits in my garage for a month. And just through some people I knew in the city said, you should meet this couple that do sound. She's a journalist and he's a furniture maker. And so I, we met with them and shared our idea and they thought it was brilliant. And so we worked together with them to create a booth and the color was very important. And um, the inside of the booth is a haint blue. And I did some research on what haint blue meant. It's a very popular color in the South and it was tied back to African and, and also slaves. And the, the idea of this color is it's as a protection against evil spirits. Mm-hmm everything seemed to be pretty intentional. So the inside of the booth, I had a neon sign created on the top that said, speak your shame. That would kind of blink almost like a vacancy sign that you would see in a motel, something that you could see like um, from across, you know, a dark room. And I put a phone in it, a little like an old timey looking phone that had the capabilities to record. And I took it to a, a recovery event at that same place, Chrissy Field, where I had this idea and we set it up and people were like, holy, what is this? Like, this is amazing. So we had about 25 recordings that day and we were kind of like amazed at the level of honesty and vulnerability left on those recordings.
0: I can't imagine. And I I wanna just reiterate that piece that you said as you're describing the phone and the why behind the phone and being in the same age of, you know, we had the wall on or the phone on our walls growing up and maybe you had the touch dial, maybe you had the the rotary. rotary and, and I loved what you said because that phone was used for a place of connection. It was a place of community. It was a place to, you said, talk to your girlfriends for hours, hours on end and, you know, stretching that cord as far as you could to get, close a door and have some privacy to talk to someone. And today our phones often cause isolation. They cause separation. They cause deception. They have, they have, and again, it can be used for good, but I feel like the phone today because of technology and the ease of internet and all those things has really could turn a negative impact on the phone. And that your creative mind was to go back to the root of just the iconic piece of a phone, the iconic piece of if it was a confessional and having that privacy, the, the part of just talking out loud and not being judged or seen, the intentionality about the color. like There's a lot of deep thought which creates a space where people feel open or curious to explore and for you to go and test this out and have 25 people who are willing to be vulnerable and to share depths of their stories that maybe it was their first time sharing. Maybe it was their hundredth time sharing, but sharing it out loud to an unknown entity, how powerful that is.
1: Yeah, And I want to add too, like, so I'm in Uh, I'm in recovery. So I go to 12 step meetings. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're not supposed to say it, but I say it because I feel like I got to say it. So people know like, Hey, you can be sober and um, there's nothing to be ashamed about. We get this opportunity in our, in our 12 step work to do this type of thing where we write down, you know, we we take an inventory of our behavior. We're able to say it to another person um and then we have relief and then the circle of the healing that goes the, that happens through this is i'm able to unburden my shame whatever it may be it could be something as small as like you you know you stole um you know a candy bar when you were 5 to you were sexually assaulted by a family member you know the power of being able to say that out loud to feel relief of getting that kind of off your heart, then somebody else hearing that, that's where the magic Mm -hmm. kind of takes it to a whole other level, is that somebody has the privilege of hearing that and saying to themselves, me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful.
0: And
1: then that's that circle of me too. And then, Hey, I have something I need to unburden. And then it's just this kind of ripple fact of, of healing.
0: Right. And, and as you know, that is the core heart and essence of Genesis Speaks is to, is through collective vulnerability, we heal and grow together. And that could be through mental health. It could be through adoption stories. It could be through infertility stories. It could be through sexual abuse, trauma, divorce, but there are all these, these stories that we isolate ourselves and we shame ourselves and we withdraw ourselves. And it's through using our voices and unlocking our voices and activating the courage to just open our mouths and, and even poorly share our story. How are we, we, it stumbles out of our mouth. It does not have to be articulate but to have someone look across or hear you and say, I understand, and there's compassion and there's what's birthed through that is just deep healing and that shame is broken off or at least pushed back. And it may not be overcome in that one instance, but courage does continue to arise and shame has to go further and further back where the courageous woman, the courageous voice comes forward that had been locked down before. and. I think that you've just emulated it so well and opened up this this beautiful space for people to come and connect in a way that a lot of us didn't know was possible.
1: Mm -hmm. And I love, you know, this idea of what Genesis is doing is that every woman has a story in an authentic voice. And we have been told for centuries, you know, sit in the corner, look pretty um, don't be hysterical. You're crazy. Um, you're too emotional. And we start to believe that about ourselves and this whole idea that we're not crazy. We're not emotional. We just feel things. We have empathy. We feel things on a, on a level that, you know, it's a little harder for men to get to that place. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're rooting for them, but it's hard for them.
0: <laughs> it is. And that's the whole yin yang of it all. And and there used to be this: the men are the warriors and the women are the empathetic, compassion. And I'm trying to bridge those two things together. Like there is such warrior spirit in me and warrior energy in me to advocate for position, rights, voice, that then there's also the intuitive and there's also the empathetic, and there's also the compassionate. And I think that those energies are within each of us and maybe we have tendency toward one or the other, but that masculine and feminine energy is within each of us. And then on a collective universal global scale, it's that pool for that for centuries, you know, women, (laughs) put women in the corner make sure that they are barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen type scenario. And that time is done. Like that time is, you know, coming to a place where women are like, not, not anymore. And I think the more that you and I and others continue to share, showcase this and, and repeat it over and over again women are going to start awaken to their rightful and beautiful places on this earth.
1: Yeah, and we have daughters. So the important thing is for them to see us lead. Absolutely. I've Absolutely. noticed big changes in my daughters too to be able to speak up and awesome. you know ask for what they want and they need without without apologizing for it too. Never apologize.
0: No, and my my husband has said that to me, but that piece of don't apologize because you're giving someone your power then. You're giving away your power. Say your mind, say your position. You could say it gently, you could say it firmly, you can say it, you know, however you want to say it, but don't apologize because you have God given rights and for your emotions, your thoughts, and your position, and don't apologize for them. Yeah. At what point did you realize like the, the stuff that you were dealing with in your heart and mind was directly associated or tethered to shame instead of anger or guilt or remorse or so how did that bridge come where that word shame was the one that was really rising to the top of the work or what you were feeling in your heart, what you were seeing around you?
1: Well, I would say like personally when I got sober and I think the the thing about like why I would drink was because I was trying to quiet the story or numb out the feelings or memories of, sh- of like bad stuff that had happened to me, you know, whether it's, um, you know, there were some, there were some definite, Things that happened, you know, as a kid getting molested by the creepy neighbor or going off to college and coming out of a blackout and some guys on top of you having sex, like those things happen, you know, they happen. And then you start to believe that it's my fault and that I'm, I must be a whore or a bad person, or I asked for it or deserved it. So then you end up staying in this cycle of, um, you don't want to look at it. It's too ugly, too painful. And for the first part, for me, it's fear. Like. or or fear is really like the core thing. So I would act, you know, you might be angry. um, You might be resentful. You might be combative. You might be um, whatever it is, but it's like underneath all that is just, it's just fear, you know, fear of um, not matter, you know, that I don't matter, that my voice isn't heard, that my story doesn't matter, that I won't have enough, the, the idea of scarcity. But then, Then you continue to like peel away and you're going, oh, it's, it's this belief, this deep belief that I have been telling myself from the beginning that I'm not valued, that I'm not smart enough. Um, I didn't have the right education. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not, um, you know, whatever. I don't have whatever credentials. I don't deserve a seat at the table. I'm a terrible mother, you know, all that stuff comes from, from shame and it's hidden. People yeah. don't see that. So you can, you can look amazing. And I did, you can look amazing on the outside and inside you're dying. Yeah. And it is hard to keep that show going, you Absolutely. know?
0: And I think we do that. And I'm not just making this about women, you know, men do this as well. We put up that show. We put up that wall professionally, personally, in our marriage, in our neighborhood, in our you know immediate family that I'm okay. And I actually, as you were sharing what you were talking about with fear, I quickly just drew out this, like fear is almost like this door that we hide shame behind. So we're, we're okay to show fear. We're okay to show it through anger, through outbursts, through tears, through whatever that emotion is. That's an okay emotion where we really don't want people to see that shame. And I know that oftentimes I get energized or if I start yelling or, and, and someone's like, what is that about? I will say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of something. And so I'm angry. I'm lashing out. I'm raising my voice. And I know that's fear. But if you go a deeper level under it, it's about shame of not being good enough, not being worthy enough, not having enough. And I like the way that you put the fear and shame together.
1: The other thing too, is this whole idea is if you knew me, if you knew the things that I believe about myself or the things that have happened to me, you won't love me either. So I'm not going to let you get close to me. So what I would do is put on an armor Yeah. and it took you, you know, that's years and years of building that, you know, armor to keep people at arm's length, because I'm not going to let you get close to me. You'll and be disgusted, you know, by what you find here.
0: As well as if we ever find the courage to start taking the armor off or raising that shield or helmet off, we often do find people who are not compassionate. There, There's a ton of compassionate people who love us who we, where we are, but there are those who when we raise that or, or show, show a little bit of vulnerability where they do lash out at us and they do judge us. And that immediate response was, yep, I knew it. I wasn't good enough. You're right. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm going to now put an an extra layer of armor on because I tried to connect and you basically said it wasn't worthy. So again, you're validating the fear of, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me either. And What you and I are also trying to break through is to change that narrative and to change that position and create a community. And that's my heart is to create a community of people who actually see that vulnerability is beautiful and it's a strength and it brings community and connection versus disconnect and judgment.
1: And this is where Brene Brown's work, like really kicked my ass where I was like, oh my God, she could be our other sister oh my god God. I just have such a crush on her I just love her so much when I first heard her TED talk I was like what
0: I sob every time like
1: yeah so this whole idea about like creativity too as an artist you know you you have to show the world as an artist you are your creative you know you are your your art so like yeah I made this this is me and you show it to the world and they go that sucks and you're like well you're saying I suck so I must suck um, but this whole idea of, you have to be able to be vulnerable to be, you know, creative to put yourself out there. And yes, not everybody's going to like it. Sure. Not everybody's going to, you know, open you, you know, uh, receive it with open arms. And that's, that's okay. Cause for every hundred people that love it, you might have one person that's like, yeah, you suck in the front row. I'm going to focus on that one person who thinks I suck. And that's going to take me, that'll take me out. Oh, there's such good stuff here.
0: It is, and I love that piece because why do we gravitate? So you just said 100 people, 99 could be applauding and and saying this is the best thing ever, and that one naysayer, the one person that we you know choose to show our uh, vulnerable self through our armor. Why do we allow them to, as a turtle, crawl back into our shell and self protect? And I know that there's the flight and fight mechanism. I know there's you know psychology around it. But there's that piece too of, you know what, some people may not like me and that is okay. That is okay. So being, strengthening that muscle that I'm not trying to hit a hundred percent, I may not even be trying to hit 50%, but the, the percent that I do hit that I am changing lives. I am instilling courage. I am imparting voice. I am unlocking the warrior within them. That's a beautiful piece, and everyone else just needs to be like acknowledged, put away, and be like, "All right, you're not for me," and and that's okay. But I too dwell on the one naysayer out of the hundred, and that does not help me.
1: I love the flight, flight, fight, flight, freeze. So I was at a women's retreat two summers ago, and there was a woman in our group, Erin, um, and she had this fourth theory and I think there was some some kind of literature on it, but is that you know as women, when they did this study, they only talked to they only did this flight, flight, freeze thing with like white men. So there's another thing to add to that is fight, flight, freeze, and then gather. And I was like, wait, what is this? Tell me more. And she said, when the shit gets real, when the house is on fire, women gather. Like, and I just get chills. Like the women gather the babies, they gather the, they, they, we don't, we gather each other into this like protective circle. And I just think that is something to remember that when, especially now when people are already so isolated, um, and COVID just bringing all of all the broken systems and structures to the surface is like, don't run, you know, gather your troops, gather the people that you love and that, um, you care about and, you know, that's where we can heal a lot of this.
0: Absolutely. And my piggybacking off of that I've used this analogy before, but you know, I want to be this Ember at that people come to for warmth, for comfort, for community And that when they leave, they take a little bit of fire back to their community. They take a little bit. And so you see this transference of heat and warmth and light as people come and gather and then refresh and take it back and multiply that out. And so I have this visual of, you know, me, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, you're in uh, San Francisco, but being this beacon of light and as women are hearing, are embracing, are curious that there's a fire that starts in their heart and in their homes and in their communities. And as we continue to support each other through these initiatives, then there's a, a global fire that we see each other through, you know, that, that glimpse of the, the fire, fiery woman that you are. And we recognize each other because of that courageousness that has been brought to the surface and the shame that is being pushed down.
1: Mm -hmm. God, that's so beautiful.
0: You're so sweet.
1: You're good good at this. (laughs) I love this stuff. I really, really like your face is all just like lit up and I love the idea of the Ember. So let me ask you this. How do you keep that Ember stoked and going without going out right now?
0: I agree. And that's a great question because even through, you know, we've been doing this podcast and and stuff for about nine months now there are times where I'm like, I'm, I'm empty. I am, I don't have it in me. So that same thing. And, and I think it's that when you have a community, I can be down and I have, you know, four or five girlfriends, I can be down. I could be on the floor in my worst uh, self-assessment, shame ridden brokenness. And I love that the community aspect though, is the one that then breathes life back into me and brings courage back into my soul and reminds me of the words that we have co-shared, co-created, or that I have shared with them that helps gather me. So I am able to keep my fire going through the community aspect of I, because if I do it by myself in four months, I'll be burned out and alone, but through the community aspect and through connection, that's an ongoing connection that people encourage me as much as I'm able to encourage them. Mm -hmm. So that's a good, I, I know you flipped it on me. You interviewed me there.
1: I did. It's like, we need each other. We're told for, so, you know, as a wife, a mother, all these things, like we got this and we could do it by ourselves. And then the notion, I think too, about like what my relationships were with girls in junior high and high school awful yeah. is that everybody's out. It's a competition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that has been such a detriment to, to women is that the scarcity, that there's not enough light for me, there's not enough money, mu- whatever it is. And so you've got to like get in there, cat scratch, and bitch fight for your slice of the pie when really there's no there's enough for all of us. So So being able to create that environment where we can invite those women who feel that way to like let down your armor, this is a safe space, sister. We see you,
0: Exactly. You know? And that piece too is why the, when I study, I try to study holistically. So Brene Brown is one of my favorite authors. Glennon Doyle is one of my favorite authors. I love Jensen Cherick, who also talks, you're a badass and that abundance mentality and that there is enough out there and we have to activate and we have to move energy into an abundance mentality, whether it's for, us personally for healing or money. So I, I love that piece of we do get, you know, in that scarcity mentality and the competitive nature between women and to change that narrative to say there's more than enough. There's more than enough opportunity. There's more than enough platforms. There's more than enough money. There's more than enough lovers and and significant others out there that we don't have to be in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back to the shame booth because you're talking about this work and you had 25 courageous people who came through and recorded, but what did you then do with these recordings? You know, you gave this opportunity for someone to come in, uh, pick up a phone, share stuff, their stories, but then what did you do with that sacred story? Yeah,
1: it is sacred. Um, Well, during that first day, we were like, we're onto something here and the uh, Tanya Katenjin, who is was in is journa- is a journalist and um, has had experience and has had her own podcast. She has said, "I, th- I think the content in here could be a podcast." And I thought, and this was two thousand seventeen. Podcasts were taking off, but I thought, oh, everybody has a podcast. You know, that just seems. Uh, I don't want to do that," and she said. "Okay, well, I think we should really think about it." And then we actually started to really listen in the studio. We would listen to these recordings, all of us together as a team, and we were like, "All right, let's let's see what we can do here." And then we took the booth to some more events. We took it to Pride. Um, San Francisco Pride is is pretty big here, and we knew that there was a lot of Shame in you know sexual uh, gender and sexuality and the LGBTQIA community, and we thought let's bring it there. And that also was a huge light that kind of light bulb that went off was like here is another community who also has something to say. And then we just started to over time we we have collected about a thousand recordings and we hired an intern Tanya and Philip hired an intern for the summer who sat down over the course of 3 months and um categorized each recording and we had about 12 tags we had another guy who built kind of a database for us called the shame, a shame cloud and we put them in different categories whether it's family um relationships finance, addiction, trauma, um, all of that. And so we were able to categorize them so that we could pull those back out when we had a podcast with a specific theme.
0: I got, I'm i getting chills. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting chills because after you and I first talked last fall, I literally went to my team and I was like, I want her booth. I want like, it just so resonated And I am so eager to see how the work that you birthed and Genesis Speaks can pull a bridge because I think that piece of just being able to share things that you don't want to tell anyone else. And even though you know it's recorded, there's something about that sacred space, sharing a sacred story that gets it out of your mind and out of your soul. You are releasing it. You are saying it with your mouth, you're hearing it with your ears, but you're also just surrendering that. I'm I'm leaving it in this booth or I'm leaving part of this in this booth. And I think it's just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful.
1: Thanks. I want to say a preface to like people sign a release.
0: Okay. They make
1: them, they're like, is this going to be used? And I said, it might sign a release. Um, one gal went in there and said, I don't, or came up to us at pride and said, this is cool. And I, she goes, but I'm not going to do it. And I said, well, why not? She said, "Because I'm too ashamed of somebody else hearing it." Like, well, that's kind of the point, right? So I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just go in the booth and try it out?" And the booth is like completely stark. It's just this paint blue and the phone. And I said, "Just take some deep breaths and and pick up the phone and see what happens." Dude, she came out sobbing and she said, "Oh my God, where's that paper? I'll sign it. I get it. I get the. I get the power of the release, and then also." how it can help other people unlock their shame and heal. So sometimes you just, that's the coolest part about being at events too. That's my favorite part. And that's the part that we haven't been able to do since COVID is when we take this booth out into public space, people go nuts. And I love having these one-on-one intense conversations with other people about shame and also seeing the transformation that happens. I see it physiologically when they step out of the booth they are standing a little bit taller with a little more pride. And it's, even if it, even if it lasts like an hour. Absolutely. It's relief.
0: Absolutely. How did you personally handle, because that's a lot of emotion, a lot of just emotionality and heaviness when you're hearing people's stories. So how were you able to listen to individual stories? You said you have around a thousand. How were you able to, facilitate those stories of, you know, people coming and wanting to go into the shame booth? How did that personally impact you? My husband left me. (laughs) He's like,
1: I mean, at the end of the day, he's like, I'm out of here. You're kind of bumming me out with all this trauma and shame shit. I mean, it's, it's more than that, but however, I feel like I became so obsessed with this work. I mean, I was a stay at home mom, John, for so long. I didn't have a career. I was an artist, but I was, I wasn't doing anything with it. And so when I, when I found this passion, I was all in, I mean, I'm an addict. So whether I'm doing a line of Coke or I'm going to spend, you know, 12 hours a day listening to recordings, it doesn't matter. So I think it had an impact on me um, to the point where even my, my shrink was like, you need to take a break. Mm -hmm. You can't hold this,
0: right.
1: um, and we'll, so there's that big, that bigger piece of that. But also, we had volunteered. I mean, we we're not me- we're not clinical um, psychologists, right? We're just we have our own experience and our own story. But we're not like mental health professionals, and that has also been something that has been brought up. as like, well, what if someone has a serious like? What if they're triggered? you know, and something serious. And I said, well, we kind of did work on our website for some services. It wasn't really thorough enough, um, frankly, but there were some places where we could point people in the direction to seek help. Um, but our volunteers who we just love so much, they're called the shame dames and they wear these red Dickies jumpsuits. And, um, the whole idea about that is is also bringing in a performance piece um, and having them kind of be the docents of the booth to kind of walk people through the process and talk to them before and after and you know we've had a couple of volunteers who were really affected by some of the stories which were i can think of one in particular that was pretty hor pretty horrific We realized that we needed to create a space for our volunteers after an event to kind of have a closing, you know, just to kind of a debrief and give them the opportunity to just leave that here. Don't take that home with you. That also needed some work too. Um, So thinking about when we do get to go back out into the world, being being more mindful about how we prep our volunteers to handle that. you know, it's taken a toll. It also caused caused me to have some it impacted some of my closest relationships too, because I was so obsessed with it that I wanted other people to get on board. Like, have you read this? Have you did you read Chanel Miller's um, you know, memoir? Have you read um, you know, I can't even think off of the top of my head, but it was like I was so obsessed with movies and books and podcasts that were all related to really. Gnarly trauma, and friends would say, "I can't." So that's kind of why one of the reasons I'm in this kind of long pause is trying to figure out what's come, what's going to emerge after this. But we can talk about
0: that. And that sounds like wisdom because we we are struggling with, and I'm struggling with. My team knows I'm struggling with over the last six months. We've had several. Podcasts that have been about sexual trauma that have been about childhood sexual abuse I released mine early December about my date rape that happened six years ago in a business setting And here I am a business owner I was a single mom you Stop
1: for one second. Yeah. Can you just stop? I want to look at you because I think this is so important I used to drop shit like that. Like yeah, I was raped by this and it's like, okay I want to look at you like I am I am sorry Thank you. I'm sorry that happened to you. Thank you. Like, let's honor that because that is not, and that's not who you are. You are not a victim. It's just part of who you are that's making you an awesome woman who is helping other people. So, So, I just want to say, like, I see you, girl. Thank you. And I'm sorry that happened to you.
0: Thank you. And it's interesting because we're now looking at the sacred stories. We've had, since my podcast came out in December, I've had 30 plus women who have either emailed me, called me, asked for coffee that they had never told anyone, or maybe they had told someone about their sexual abuse. And to me, it was so, and that's why I use the word sacred stories, because I just felt like I was handed these like sacred Baby stories that were so precious and women that things happened to them at age, you know, 12, 14, and they're now 50, 60 years old and still crying through the trauma of it. And so I'm looking to say, how do I continue to build these, this platform? Cause I'm not a mental health professional. I'm never going to be a mental health professional, but how do I safely facilitate to honor the story, but also give them the care and help that they need if they need it, if they choose to engage. And so we're asking those questions. And so that's another piece of of this journey of Genesis. Where do we go from here? How do we navigate? And these are the conversations that we do need to have. I need to have to take this to another level. And I honor your pause. I honor... You know, to say, you know, I need to step back. There's something, there's things that I can do a little differently. And I learned from, you know, round one, you know, providing that on the website, how to support volunteers, how to maybe leave and create better boundaries for yourself. So your friends, you know, aren't overwhelmed, but it's hard because there's a fire in my soul for advocacy now. And there's a fire in my soul to bring this to other people. That's important. And I, and I sense and feel that fire in you as well.
1: I wanted to share this really cool thing that happened, um, in September of September, 2018. And, um, I was in DC. I was right in between, it was during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And when they were, when they had taken a break, um, I happened to be in DC for, uh, some family business and I had packed up all I, I packed up, um, two jumpsuits. Um, we also have these like big underpants that say no shame on them. And that's all about like body positivity and stuff. And also they're comfortable. (laughs) Um, and we, my, my girlfriend from New York took the train down and we brought out a banner that we had rolled out in front of the white house for, and asked people to write down who their Brett Kavanaugh was anyway. So I had people write, and there was a woman, she just kept kind of passing. And on the third pass, she was just standing there. And I said, what, what's, what's happening? She said, um, my husband made me come back. I've been carrying around this, this shame around the sexual assault for so long. It's just impacting everything. And I said, well, write it down, get rid of it. So she sat down on the sidewalk, and just wrote the name, paused for a little bit and then kind of let it go and then walked away. And I just felt, oh, that is, that's part of this release, right? The part of telling your story, whether maybe she couldn't, people can't say it out loud yet. Maybe that's the first step, just writing down the name.
0: So good. And it, it's that activation piece, you're, you're doing something and I love what you just said, write it down. Maybe I don't have the courage. Maybe I don't have the voice yet. Maybe I'm not there to delve into any of the details or to share it or to see people's reactions, but there is that activation piece and
1: leaning in. So it's like, I, I wish there was a way to follow up. And I think that's kind of where I want to go next is okay. You've released your shame, or you're on your way to releasing your shame. So let's not stay in it. Yeah. Like, what's on the other side of that? It's freedom, baby, freedom. So like, so I just think about like how could we create that next? And I think you're doing that with the work that you're doing. Is you're bringing that
0: think so, but I think that the, the bridge is is that you're giving this opportunity for people to to acknowledge and have that shame, and I'm doing some of that work, but I do believe that there is going to be continued bridges between the work you're doing and the work that we're doing, because there is, it's in your heart to say, now, now what do we do? How do we activate this? How do we get people into that freedom and joy and courageous voice? And it doesn't mean that we never feel that shame again or that trigger again or that trauma again or that regret again but it is with less pain and it's with less intensity than we had experienced before and the freedom on the other side is immensely beautiful but it's also getting through that wall or door of fear that you talked about earlier to push back back and allow shame to be released in order to get to that freedom Mm -hmm. It's good. Yeah,
1: There are women who have a lot to offer who might not feel like, oh, I can't start a shame booth. I can't start, you know, Genesis. And it's like, no, that, but you've got your own thing. And it might not be, it might just be you like reading a really good book, or maybe you learn how to knit something beautiful, or maybe you cook something really delicious. Like it doesn't have to be. That's, I think where women get stuck. They go, well, I I can't do that.
0: So, I and I, I appreciate what you're saying because I do think that women, we tend to compare. I can't, I'm not doing a shame booth. I'm not doing a, a women's movement, but they are the small activations, the small yeses in our hearts, the small self-care, the cooking, the ability to knit and the things that you were saying, to draw, to be an artist. And for me, my want also is just to be a compassionate listener. Why don't we close with what you're going to kind of what's on your horizon through 2021 and then we'll look at what does your freedom look like? Yeah, I had
1: a, I had a, a gal reach out to me, sent me an email saying she's working in, um, she wants to create an app, a shame booth app. She had some other idea about creating a, a space where people could like tell their secrets or their stories and a friend of her said, oh, there's something already like that out there. It's called shame booth. She said, what? So she went and checked it out and sent me an email and said she and we've been thinking about creating an app and so we're in conversations with this um woman about what that might look like so that could be super cool because we did have a hotline and nobody's using it this whole idea of people using a hotline like a phone nobody was using it the only people that were calling were me and um my uh colleague tanya's nine-year-old daughter nora I can't wait to get back out to do live events. We have a really gorgeous partnership with She Recovers. Mm-hmm. Um There are, they're an international organization created by a mom and daughter team out of um, British Columbia. And they do these incredible recovery events all over. And we had a big one in Miami that we had to cancel. So it's going to re- be rescheduled, I think for the fall of 2021. And, that's where I've gotten a lot of movement in that community of recovery and not just recovery from drugs and alcohol, but the notion that we're all recovering from something.
0: No, I think it's beautiful. And I think that's the beautiful part of your work is that you're touching many. you're the center of, of a wheel with so many spokes coming out and you're hitting so many different audiences because no matter your age, gender, sexual orientation, partnership, et cetera, we all deal with shame in some way and getting through that barrier and through that fear wall to the other side of healing and freedom is going to be contagious.
1: I really would like to get more um, cisgender men, white dudes, um, white straight dudes in the booth.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there, are, We have maybe 10 recordings wow. of them. And it's, I think that is a, yeah. a goal of mine is to get different voices inside that booth.
0: What does freedom look like for Paula Williams when you come through and you're on the other side and your arms are raised? What does that freedom look like?
1: That is a good question. Well, Rhett, my astrologist, says I'm in store for a sexual awakening that doesn't follow any social norms. (laughs) There you go. So... CBD on that. I've had two quite, quite titillating experiences in COVID and I'll just say my itches were scratched. So that can, that will, um, because I'm coming out of a 31 year, uh, marriage and, um, that's, that kind of took me by surprise, but I feel like it's now been a real gift because I realize how much I lost myself in the dynamic of a partnership for that long and how I became somebody else. And now I feel like I'm awakening to the woman I was always meant to be. And I'm, yeah, I'm a little scared, but I'm also like, I'm, I'm totally going to be fine. I have amazing support and I have friends that are just like cheering me on and excited about all of my endeavors are like, go out and do some recon, you know, tell us what you've been doing. And, um, so so freedom there and also you know seeing seeing the incredible work that my daughters are doing both in their own you know professional capacity and also in their own personal growth i'm just so proud breda and i've been talking a lot and i've ta- been talking and i think you and i even talked about this is there are so many of us women in our in our kids are gone you know relationships end It's like, what's next for us? And and it's this whole idea of the third act. And I feel like there is such juicy stuff in that area. I don't know really what it looks like, but um, we've been really talking about how we can create another, not another, but just work with those other women who are stuck, who feel like they have nothing to contribute or that they're, experience their life experience um doesn't hold value when in fact it does and how to and how to create this next third chapter for us and um i'm i mean i don't know what it looks like i'm putting it out there but i feel like there is something really exciting in that piece
0: i Um, agree because there's a lot of us that you know, I have two kids that are out in college now. I have one left. She's a sophomore. You know, I have two years left with her before she's off to college. It is the what next. And what is the purpose? And whether you're married, not married, whatever path you're on. And for you, having the end of a 31-year-old marriage, like that's a huge chapter to and a huge chasm to be like, all right, who is Paula? Who does Paula want to be? what is in your heart that maybe you weren't able to release or create or relinquish because of a relationship and not saying that it was bad relationship. I don't know. No, but don't. that piece of, you know, but who are you and who, who are you meant to be? And I think that piece is exciting as it unfolds to you day by day. And as you're on this journey and finding individuals like myself, who are going to champion you on and be a huge cheerleader for you it's, it's a new, it's a new arena. So I love that third act.
1: And to say yes, and not to say yes at the expense of our own, you know, not to say yes to things that we really don't want to do as women. We do that a lot, you know, we'll make commitments and say, sure. I'll make cupcakes for the team or sure, I'll host the company party. Um, but really like, what do, what do I want to do and be able to say yes to those things
0: so as we wrap up, what is a piece of advice that you would give a woman to start this shame journey or start this place of, I want to have a conversation. I want to confront shame in my life. What's a piece of advice from a shame expert as yourself that you would give?
1: Well, I can just say from my own experience, what what helps me now is finding that space In between like the chaos for me um the quiet and the you know it's it's squirrel season right so i've got a lot of squirrels living in my head who are causing a lot of distraction for me and putting a lot of fear in in there but if i can just find that space of quiet um then i'm able to really tap into this inner wisdom and this intuition that's getting stronger, the more I feed it. And I, we all have it. And if you're really still struggling with that, find out where it hurts. You know, for me, it's like in my chest and it's like when things come up for you and you, you have a visceral reaction to that, spend some time getting quiet and thinking about what is that? Where does that come from? Um, and I would also say if you're not in, you're not seeking therapy, do it. Find a really good therapist and start peeling, peeling that onion. And yes, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. But I can tell you the the freedom and the beauty, and the strength you will get from walking through that will change everything. Yeah. So don't don't be afraid.
0: And if you are afraid, there are individuals like yourself and organizations like yourself and organizations like Genesis. And there's throughout the communities around us, advocates to hold your hand and to support Mm -hmm. and to encourage. And it can be the quietness of support. It can be the robustness of support, but we're here for you as well.
1: And you're not alone, even though you think that that you are completely alone and that your story is unique. It isn't. There are many of us who share that same story and we are not our story. Yeah. Oh,
0: I love that. Good reminder. Good reminder. I am so honored that Brendan connected with you to me and that you are like-minded in your heart and soul and different and you have your own nuances, but that we speak the same language and really honored that you were here with us today.
1: Same. I'm so glad
0: we found each other. I am too. Like, this is like such a gift in COVID. Like uh-huh. there's, there's some COVID keeps and you're one of them. So I'm excited yeah, to see too. this unfold and as our work continues to cross-pollinate with each other, that we're honoring Women's International day this week and that you're here and this story and breaking out the shame and walking into freedom is the legacy that you're gonna live.
1: Right on, sister. So good. Awesome.
0: So good. All right. Well thanks ladies for checking in today and men, those who you are who are courageous to listen to a women's podcast, you are always welcome here. We you honor are. each of you and we're excited that you're here and we are blessed that you uh, took the time today and we look forward to connecting with you next week. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Speaks podcast. If you love the show, one of the best things you can do is to share it with a friend. Tell them what you like about it, how it inspires you, and invite them to listen. Subscribe to the Genesis Movement to empower women's voices and reclaim the power over your own narrative.